Welcome to another episode of the Christian Reeve Podcast. If you like this here show, make sure you leave us a review on Podchaser. Or, alternatively, if you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or elsewhere, please consider leaving a review and a rating. If you're checking out the Christian Reeve Podcast on YouTube, Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you want to support the show, why not check us out on patreon.com slash christianreeve and get yourself exclusive bonus content and bonus podcast content. How about that? Okay, I've had my fun. But seriously, if you want to support the show, it really, really helps us out. So thank you so much, and thanks again for listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reef Podcast. Today's guest is a HR professional, a management consultant, an intuitive coach, pastor, and public speaker. His name is David Abadunrin. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm, I'm fine, Christian. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Thank you for Thank coming. You, yeah, um, it's it's been we've been trying to get it in the works for some time now, and that's uh, it's a pretty common problem that I have with with um, with the show is always trying to find when everyone's available and whatnot and it can can be tricky but we're here now so that's the main thing <laughs> um let's let's go go straight into hr because i don't think i've ever actually sat down on the show and and spoken with someone about hr before and i have my kind of thoughts as and i'll, I'll throw them your way but i want to just kind of know your journey from the sort of beginning to today in hr Okay, um, been been everywhere, done a lot of things. Uh, started my career in electrical engineering, telecommunications, and project management. Then after about five years, in the beginning, I went to consulting, project and program management, and that's when I also encountered the world of HR, and I began to also consult and then do project management work, with relations to ruling out. Uh, HR products and services for organizations back home. And uh, before you knew it, uh, it's been two decades of doing project management, program management, HR, agile, uh, technology and cybersecurity precisely. And here we are after almost two decades. Would you say the biggest takeaways during that time, like the things that you kind of revere is like, the biggest lessons shall we say don't don't stop don't stop developing yourself don't stop learning the sign that you're dying is when you stop learning when there is always something new that you don't know and that's an opportunity to learn and that's my second point you would meet things that will make you look inferior these will make you look smaller things that would challenge you but if you see them as challenges it's better for you. If you see them as problems to stop you, then they get the power to stop you. Now, those things are calling for deeper capacity development in you. That's the second thing. The third thing is run your own race, man. It's a world full of about seven to eight billion people. Run your own race. Otherwise, you'd be nervous, right? getting confused, competing all the time. Run your own race. That's a great way to put it. Run your own race. I love that. <laughs> it's, I suppose it's always difficult to to be able to set the pace, but like whenever I look at my life, 
I always try to focus in on the things that I can control as opposed to the things I can't. And it's, yeah, I mean, that's always a better way to look at it, isn't it? It's like, well, what can I do? What what are the things I can change and and work towards and hopefully push myself as far as possible? Mm-hmm. Um, let's get back into HR. So, okay. In this day and age, HR has received a lot of criticisms. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up. So what do you make of the many criticisms of HR? Do you think they're fair or do you think that maybe there's a misconceptions about what HR is? Mm, that's a complex question to, to, to tackle right there. Some, you see, all conversations have context. So in the context in which people ask the questions, they are justified. But in the context of a practitioner who has sat with many executive teams and and I'm still doing work with different streams of senior management on different projects, I would say that the criticisms are unfair. But But from someone who has experienced what HR should be doing and what HR does in organizations and how inadequate the gap or the delta between what we should be doing versus versus what we're doing, I would say the criticisms are founded and are needed. But as a practitioner, I'm aware of other factors that drive the inability for what we're talking about to come to fruition in practical terms. One thing that you mentioned there that I think is really important is like what HR should be as opposed to what it shouldn't be. The human soul is the last frontier of productivity next to machines that are creation of human beings anyway. Among the factors of production, the unique applicant, the differentiating factor is the human being. Without the human being, all other factors of production don't make sense. What are we producing for if not human beings? Who produce human beings? For who? Human beings. So at the end of the day, um, um, that function should be a function that creates human experiences that manages it so that it can be capitalized on for performance and excellence. But today, that's what we should be seeing. But today, despite having all the frameworks and everything, there's huge land, there's huge evidence, a huge amount of evidence of the failure of that function within the enterprise structures. One, one problem I seem to see a lot with HR, and I've experienced this myself, having worked in corporate in the past, is this idea that, like, okay, when you really break down HR, what is HR? HR literally stands for human resources. And a lot of people tend to look at HR and go, oh, well, HR is there for the employees, you know, the the, the employee rights, etc. And in certain companies that's true i've seen that too i've seen good hr in companies before but i have seen an overwhelming 
display of bad HR over the years. And, and more, what do we mean by bad? Well, things like uh, defending the interests of the company over the employees, for example. So some people will say HR is, is that that's what the primary function is, is to protect the employer over against the employees, right? And then the other element to it is just, like I said, in the name, this idea that you are seen as a resource. What do you say to, to those sort of criticisms? You know, words are not meanings. Words are not meanings. What do you mean by that? <laughs> In the English language, a chair is a chair. But the French language, a chair can be masculine or feminine based on the constructs and the meaning of the language. Okay. So a word, boy, doesn't mean anything until human beings took that word and attached the male young personae to it and then you have the boy so you're saying like hr is whatever we give meaning to it to mean so it can there's be been, there's been a lot of naming and misnaming conventions okay and that has led to a lot of confusion that's why resource and capital for me is not a big deal but for those who are struck on the meaning of words and they don't allow the use of metaphors at all they will, they will rather say human capital some will say human resources okay that's fine I know they are trying to achieve mental shift but in the mid to long term view it's neither here nor there the experience the experience on the table if you were my executive person or my resource uh, HR manager, what do I feel or what do I get? What kind of service oh, as a talent? Do I feel managed as a talent? Do I feel engaged as a talent? Do I feel that coaching is being applied? Do I feel that performance management is being done properly? The, the value delivery is far more important than naming convention. The only reason I bring up the name aspect is to kind of illustrate a point about how HR is viewed. Okay, so I get what you're saying, and to an extent, a degree, I agree. But at the same time, this is like the general kind of conception that people have with HR. People that look at HR and they go, what do they even do? You know, I, I came from marketing and there were certain companies that I worked in where, I mean, for example, let's let's talk about some of the things you mentioned there things like training, things like the resources are offered to talents, right? Even just the fact that you use the word talent as opposed to employee or something like that, right? The way the employee is valued. A lot of that in many companies you don't see, and this is why everyone tends to kind of point the finger at HR and go, what do they actually do? Do they represent the employee or the employer? And then that's when people start picking at words like, well, are we resources or are we seen as actually valued members of, of a community and especially in today just one final thing on top of that 
this idea that's been pushed by many companies of, well, we're, we're family. You know, this is a corporate family. This is, we're a community. We're coming together. You see where I'm going with this? Mm. At, the end, at, at the end of the day, I'm saying like you fix the experience, fix the experience and the value that people get from the person or the persons who are in, in quotes, HR, get the value, deliver the value to the people. They will name it and respond appropriately. But when you're bogged down with the names so that you're even struggling to understand what you're delivering, I mean, I, mean, I think it's, 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 I don't know, I think it's pretty it's, clear, it's, like, it's, what it's, people want. People want to be treated as, as, as well, with respect. That's they, it. Those, those, those are the most important things. Right. Deal, deal with, act, value, let the value that you place on people show in how you act, how sure. you engage how you develop, how you train, the name, capital, or resource will find its level, which way or the other. Let it, it depends if the company is actually delivering that or not. Because like that, what you're saying, that, that, I agree. Next, that, that, that's, next, that's the next bit. And that's why I said on my side, I agree. I am slow to blame the HR practitioner because there are organizational and something called TTT tone from the top. Hmm. Okay. The now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 because the, the HR professional is also an employee. Yep. So the body language, the disposition and the tone. I didn't say management policy the tone, the, the practical tone you meet from the top many times has its demand on you. And for many HR professionals, they are caught in the middle. They want to also make a living. So instead of going all out and fighting a system that you know you would lose, people just sort of blending. They try to mediate a little bit in the middle. By the end of the day, the culture or the behavioral pattern of the leaders, leader or leaders that seep through the system is what you experience. That's, that's your destiny. That's what you experience. It's, it's what the organization has. Forget the charts and the fanciful communications. It is what they want in the senior management of the business that will eventually crystallize. It's a solid point that it basically represents the, the as you put it, the tone of, of what the management sentiment is. And I have to say, in a lot of companies, my kind of overall impression of it was that there was, there's what's presented to you and then there's the reality. And and this is why, sorry to cut it to you, this is no, why, hold, hold that thought there, this is why I do not blame the HR personnel. Okay. Because you don't know what the organization disposition, the policy battles, and many conversations happening behind the scenes that's even putting HR in a very, very difficult place already. 
So in a way, you're kind of implying that like HR is just like the messenger. <laughs> in many, in many cases, in many cases, yes. That's interesting. They're like the bad guys who the CEOs use for all their bad moves. Oh, oh this just gets me. This just reminds me of, of the past right now. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. But here's the other side of things, right? So, okay, we talked about the intention, the sentiment there. And, and you know, I, I can't disagree with that. It really does come down to what the the management of the company want to do. Do you want to run your organization in a way where everyone is just kind of subservient and just does what they're told and, you know, you're just, you're just a number? Or do you want to run it where everyone kind of feels valued? And, and you know, that, and that's a different company entirely, the way it's structured, the way it will look. It won't necessarily be the most efficient way to do it, but you might get the best out of your employees because you're treating them in the right manner. That's the way I would always have looked at that. But the other side of HR, the one that often gets mocked is, you know, your pizza parties and you're like, oh, what do you, what does everybody want? Everybody wants to get paid better. We're getting these team events that no one wants to go to or these mandatory events at the end of a working week when everyone just wants to go home early, you know. What do you make of of these kind of exploits by HR? Like, what what is the purpose of that? How does that help the employee? Employee experience first. Experience first. Experience is how people form opinions. It's how people build trust. It's how people get engaged. The games and all of those, uh, you cannot have bullied people for 12 months, then organize a, a, a buffet, one buffet in December, expecting them to forget everything you did in the course of the year. It's not possible. They might even get very angry for trying to answer their intelligence. So every day, every month, every year, treat people with humane understanding. Be humane. You see, we're not saying, we're not even saying don't punish uh, wrong behavior. No. We're not going there. We're only saying that you as a person be, be very, very forthright in your dealing, particularly along the line of words. Words and meanings and let people experience not lip service let them experience the good service that you have to offer as a professional that is the focus organizations and have a leadership have a long way to go in ensuring that this happens what do you think the future of hr is going to look like (laughs) Yeah, about five things are going to happen. One, some rules will merge within each other. Some functions will merge. Uh, I think organizational development and learning and development will merge. Now, they to merge in phases. So some will merge quicker, some will merge in the mid to longer term, and some will merge in the longest term. One of the futuristic things I think far future is one-man HR organizations supported by a lot of machines and animals okay that's what i think one man very lean physical stuff supported by a lot of machines that's a second one a third thing that will happen 
is that many people who went into HR for the ambience, for the lack of uh, work. Yes, <laughs> yes. They will. They will be forced. They will be forced out. In that the mundane tasks, things are going to get competitive. The mundane tasks will be done by machines, AI. So if you're not passionate about what you're doing, and if you don't really, really love what you're doing, you're rushing after money, you run, you run into very serious problems. This is what I wanted to ask you about on top of this as well. Is like, I look at AI and, and how it's affecting each facet of business right now. I feel like with HR, it could largely replace a lot of the functions. Yeah, but it's also going to create jobs. How so? Because new skills will be needed. We need new skills. We need like search skills, like interpretation and interface skills, like amplification skills. New skills will be needed in each career area to boost what they are doing there. For it. So, so it's going to be future. is going to be a collaboration between machines, man, and at the end of the day what we have chosen to take as what is important. That's interesting. Is process important? Are customers important? Uh, uh, time to market is important. Whatever we say is important. And man and machine are the things that will occupy the room. That new mix will present need for new career paths. For example, HR will have to begin to work on external perception, external brand perception from an employee experience perspective. HR, HR will have to stop being just an internal organization. It also has to have an external facing element. For example, isn't that kind of what PR is, though? Like the PR wing of a company? Are you kind of saying that they'll just merge then, essentially? No, no, no. I'm saying that, for example, for example, uh, people analytics. Hmm. Okay. Which is a core forty of marketing and uh, PR and all of those will, for example, merge with technology in a deeper way and eventually HR as a coach of everything and everyone. These are things are going to loop in through technology and it's going to loop into HR. So new, new skills will be needed. Uh, for example, we need people analysts in HR now we will need people who understand human emotions and how to channel that for productivity, emotional intelligence engineers. This is interesting what you're getting at here. Analyzing human behavior within the context of business. So in essence, <laughs> in an effort to better manipulate people, Absolutely. Jeez. More, more, more knowledge, more capacity, new career paths will emerge. 
Sure. So some jobs are going, some jobs will get some jobs will be modified and new jobs are coming. This is what I've always I I thought um in the various conversations I've had on my show and on other people's shows about AI in some career paths it is just completely replacing things but in others it's creating jobs it's it's shifting i think if uh, human beings you know if nothing else we have to get used to this idea of adapting and change because that's what life is about and that's exactly what ai is is presenting to us it's presenting this idea of we have to shift where we put our energy and focus and go with what the market demands rather than you know going against it like trying to resist because it, it it will cause a certain degree of um what's, what's the word i'm looking for when when things become obsolete essentially you know but with that being said i do think that there's going to be a lot of companies that choose to do it the old-fashioned way that that's what it would be called now like the human way versus the ai way which is a scary way to look at it but that's the reality we're facing um <laughs> Let's talk about your management consultancy. So what would you say are sort of the m- most common problems you come across and that you help businesses with? Okay. The problem that people don't understand their problem. Mm. And okay. they, just, they just throw consultants and money at the, at the problem. Don't hire a consultant. Don't throw money at the problem. Don't do anything until you have understood the problem. What is the nature of the problem? What is the construct of the problem? When you solve that problem, what secondary problems will be introduced? What is the cost of solving that problem or leaving it unsolved? Does it have hidden benefit because it's unsolved? How, how do you dimension all of that? What about in an instance where you understand what the problem is, but you don't understand the causal factors? Until until you understand all of that, don't move. Until you understand all of that, then invest money in understanding the problem before you attempt to solve it. Okay. So by doing so, that just makes your life easier when you come in because then you know exactly how to help. Yeah, because when you climb the ladder of success, when it's leaning against the wrong wall, you would have to come down again Take the ladder, reposition it, then start climbing. So there's no need to rush in trying to solve a problem. What would you say has been your biggest success story when it comes to management consultancy? There's been quite a number. Uh, there's been business process transformation and reengineering projects. There's been agile program and project management, and there's also been there's a lot of waterfall project and program management. All of those things delivered delivered very high value, and objectives met, and then products rolled out. Exciting times ahead. And what would you say have been sort of the biggest challenges you faced in management consultancy? Lack of clarity. Okay. When when people don't know what success looks like for them, they give you a brief, you answer the brief in detail, then they tell you at the end of the brief that it's not what they wanted. Yeah. <laughs> I know how that feels. Yeah, I've, I've done um I've done freelance working in marketing and whenever it comes to a client changing the goalpost at the end it's like 
you do you do it's like what you were saying before you do have to have a degree of knowledge of what the problem is or you just have to trust in the person you paid money to to help you with this problem if you start questioning well why aren't we doing it like this why are we not doing it like this it's like well i'm the paid professional that you brought on to help you with this thing so you either trust me or we don't do it. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, do you know what I mean? I remember one time years ago, I was, I was doing um, some marketing copy and SEO for a company. Uh, so I was working for an agency and the agency had this client. And it was painful because every five minutes, the client would come back and say, oh, uh, yeah, we don't know if, if we should be doing this. Like, what about this? And every time I would write to the agency and be like, hey, listen, um, should we explain why we do this i mean i i don't know what to say here like it's it's pretty basic stuff you know what i mean not not sound harsh but like it was it was just the basic thing that you would do in in seo copywriting i think it was and the agency guy was just like yeah i know let's just try it their way <laughs> it was like so i had to basically just explain to a client like the basics of, of why we do certain things for seo like this was like seo's best practices basically and it 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 frustrates me because we live in a world now where you know google is right there you know you can just look it up and within five ten minutes you've got a broad understanding you won't be an expert but you'll have a broad understanding of 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 the said problem you know what i mean it's not like the old days where you know you had to i don't know go to the library find the encyclopedia and just hope that you can learn about it in there you know it's it's the world has changed and this is what i never understand with this you know we all don't now we all, we all don't understand it <laughs> i think it, I, well i think it comes down to a little bit of laziness to, to be perfectly honest i mean it's it's using your initiative you know in any company i've ever worked for over the years whether that been marketing whether it's been acting whether it's been customer service if i didn't know how to do something i'd either ask someone or i'd find out myself you know but the point is you go on that journey don't you you do it yourself and then when you don't know and you've tried everything that's when you tend to sort of reach out and go right help me exactly. i've tried exactly. Exactly. this is interesting so you have some knowledge of cybersecurity strategies now i recently had uh win schwartel on my show and he's quite well known in the cybersecurity sphere um many years ago he testified in front of congress uh 1991 u.s congress about the dangers of cybersecurity. we didn't really talk strategies we, we talked a little bit about like what people can do and, and what people are ignorant of but you say that you have some sort of knowledge of cybersecurity strategies so what are the key cybersecurity strategies that you speak about and promote Okay, number one, we focus specifically on people who are most vulnerable in our midst. If you obey the basics, you have the opportunity to be more safe. But look at my choice of choice of words. It's an, it's an opportunity or a chance to be safe. It doesn't mean you're safe. So my first deeper lesson is that what you call in cybersecurity may be compliance. 
just complying to the audit department, the government regulator, and following the standard and the procedure, it doesn't keep you safe or secure. It doesn't mean someone's going to attack your network. So to be cyber secure is different from doing compliance. A lot of people are doing compliance thinking that they are doing cyber secure. No, they are just compliance. So they are shocked when incidents still happens because uh, being cybersecure requires some more effort and think through rather than just radic fighting or firefighting. You have to think through everything at a depth. What do you think the future of cybersecurity will look like? Oh, it's going to be very expansive. Again, AI is coming, machines are coming. Uh, people will get more skilled uh, and criminals will get more criminal and deeper, deeper criminals are on the landscape already. We just have to be careful. Please be careful with your cards, your transactions, your business. Be very careful. That's my counsel. There, there will be an explosion in how much crime that we're going to experience from 2025 upwards, but like digital crime, because our lives are getting more and more dependent on the internet. We live now on the internet. Wi-Fi has joined the, the master's hierarchy of needs. Wi-Fi. That's a huge statement right there. Yeah, so being interconnected exposes us to all forms and all sorts. I mean, is there any way we can try to mitigate? I suppose, like, just educating yourself would be number one, but... Go government government must spend money on education. Interesting. So we'll, we'll, we might even have cybersecurity classes in school, potentially, one day. Yeah. Mm, many NGOs are funding it. And many governments are funding the education part, so that's getting better. But in addition to that, that's everybody to be on the watch out. Let's switch, it up. Let's switch it up for a second. You, I mentioned this in, in the intro, but you are an intuitive coach. What exactly is this and what does it entail? Well, it entails me helping people find their true knots or unlocking the jigsaw puzzle that's necessary to lift their lives up to the next level. There's a body of knowledge, an insight, a question, something that can help you unlock yourself and move you to the next level of your life. So I've done it repeatedly for different persons, and um, I still do so till now. But is it... If I understood it correctly, in that it's essentially just coaching people on how to use their intuition to sort of better help them in life, or is it? Is it just? Is it a mark? That's, that's, no, that's part of it. That's B. A is to I using it to help them in the immediate. That's A. Okay. B is helping them to tune themselves so that they too can use it. In your opinion, like, how does mastering one's intuition help a person to sort of lead a better life? Yeah, there are many, many decisions that you would that would require that would require more than your five senses, and she can bail you out. Uh, many months you want to do something because, and at the end of the day, 
the world is looking for genius. So those that can combine their logic and their intuition and present it in the world will go further than those who just use their logic or their brains alone, not taking because every genius has a construct and you can discern and decipher the constructs with a view to helping them to optimize that genius and deliver same in a profitable way that's not damaging their health uh, final couple of questions for you as we sort of draw things to a close today. What's the biggest mistake that you've made that you've learned a valuable life lesson from? Hmm. Um, there, is, there is the need... I didn't get that question just a minute. So... The biggest mistake that you've made that you learned a valuable life lesson from? Okay, about 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 about, about three things have happened. Um, trusting people too much, and underestimating how people can want to hide what the truth is. Number two, um, personally assuming the best would be the outcome of a situation because I'm a very positive person. What's wrong with doing that? Well, Positivity is good, but it could be a liability in that you, you won't see the negatives, even if they are there. You can be in a state of mind that ignores negatives and just carries on with the positives. Why the negatives should not be focused on too intensely so that it refuses to mobilize you, it begins to immobilize you. You must also be pragmatic and realistic enough. You need to weigh stuff and determine what you would leave at that level and then what you would trade off, what you would let go, that kind of stuff. What's the best advice you've ever received? Develop yourself. Go develop yourself quickly. Work on yourself. Don't assume. Work on yourself. Don't assume. What's the biggest life lesson you've learned so far? Majority of the problems in life can be solved by personal development and growth. Yeah. But a lot of people are not willing to grow. There's so much arrogance and people rather will take a shortcut or outsource the learning. When you learn and you grow, you solve more problems. That's all. Because you're more well-equipped to deal with things, I assume. It's what? Because you're more well-equipped to deal with things. Exactly. Exactly. Um, as we draw things to a close, do you, this final question for you, do you have any upcoming projects or final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? No, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be helping a few persons 
uh, around their capabilities and genius over the next coming few days and weeks. I will announce that on all my social media platforms so that people can actually subscribe. And um, the world is a big place. Make sure that you hit it hard. Don't uh, do all you can while you can in the best way that you can. And don't be conservative with life. Those, those are my last words. Thank you very much for, for appearing on the show. Really appreciate it. And um, you. yeah, wish you the best of luck, bro. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thanks for helping me. And to all the listeners of the Christian Reed podcast, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, be safe, be well, and I'll see you in the next one. Hello. Now, you might be wondering, why on earth is this podcast so short? What happened? Was the conversation just, did it suck? Did you, could you not get much out of it? What happened, Christian? Well, I will tell you what happened. But first, I want to kind of paint a picture of what this podcast was and why it took so long to happen. Um, now, I'm going to be really, really honest with you. Uh, at the end of this show, when it first happened, David was very apologetic. And, you know, we went back and forth about what to do. And I kind of expressed my frustrations. And he, he was very apologetic. And I want to really stress that. Um, now, I've decided to cut out all of the bad stuff. And you might be wondering, what bad stuff? What are you talking about? Well, because <laughs> uh, I am going to talk about it. But I didn't want to show it because I didn't think that that was particularly professional on my part. But I think I like to paint an honest picture of things. And this show has been sitting in the vault, if you like, for about a month, and I really didn't know what to do with it. I knew that I would probably use it at some point in the future, but I was wondering like how exactly to put it out there because I felt like if I would put out a show which includes all of the sort of, let's, let's say like the bad behavior on David's part, it would obviously make him look bad, but I felt like it would probably make me look bad too, because it's no. What 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 what's the objective here? What are we trying to achieve? Am I just poking fun at David? Um, I don't think that's professional. Basically, two wrongs don't make a right. Uh, but I wanted to use this content because, despite the fact that you know, and I'll just say quickly what happened. So we did this show, and. Um, David was in an open plan office and it was really noisy and right off the bat I was like well we can reschedule we can do this show another time and you know when it's not busy and he was like no 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 no, it's fine don't worry about it um and look I made a judgment call I figured we could maybe get through it as long as the background noise wasn't too bad we'd probably be okay you know I've I've had shows before where there's been sort of stuff in the background sometimes it can't be helped you know like if someone lives near a main road that can be really bad you know sometimes you don't have the luxury of having a quiet space you know I, I get it um, but this was an instance where like David knew where he would be at that time and he knew it would probably be noisy and 
it, it kind of frustrated me a little bit. I remember at the end of the show saying to him like, and I didn't mean it to come across rude, but I was I was genuinely just asking a question. I was like, have you ever done a podcast before? And he was like, yeah, I've done plenty. And I was like, right. And that response, I'll be honest, kind of annoyed me. I was like, okay, if you've done them before, why are you not approaching my show with the same level? And I think that's kind of the issue I wanted to raise here because I spoke with David. I spoke with his um, his PR uh, person as well about the fact that I felt disrespected. I felt like my time was wasted. I didn't feel like I was treated with the respect I deserve. Because I, whenever I sit down and I do a show and I do the research for a show, I take it very seriously. You know, I know that my show is not top 10 podcasts in the world. I know the chances of it getting somewhere are probably very, very slim. I get that. But that doesn't change the fact that I take it seriously and I treat it like a show. Because, you know, I'm inspired by... The Ricky Gervais show, when that first came out, I remember listening to that in the 2000s and thinking, man, I want to do a podcast one day. I would love to do that. And look, I started my podcast when most people started their podcasts in 20, 2020, when everything was down. I figured this is the best time to, to start. And I kept it going because I always wanted to do a podcast. Now, again, I reiterate what I said before. I know the numbers aren't there. I know that my show isn't like this big show that everyone clamors for and looks forward to. But you know what? Maybe it one day it will be. Who knows? I don't know what the future holds. I set myself a goal of trying to do this show for at least 10 years, and I'm going to stick to that. Uh, this is the fourth year of the show, year four. And I'm very proud of where it's come and, and how it's changed over the years. Um, and this show was kind of a bit of a dis disappointment, if I'm honest. You know, I've, and I've had a lot of disappointments with the podcast. I've had no shows. I've had people show up and, you know, like just give me nothing. Like they're just not even wanting to be there. I've had people who just endlessly promote and just aren't really there to have a conversation. I've seen it all. And that's part of podcasting. Anyone who's been a podcaster will know where I'm coming from on this. It's, it's one of those things that you learn as you go on. And this definitely was a learning curve for me. I'm not really sure what the lesson was as far as like how I can move forward from this in terms of like doing the show because I think the show itself was fine except for the fact that there was noise in the background and uh, David was was yawning a lot throughout the show which I mean he's just said he was tired and he was working a lot but Anyone who's ever had <laughs> anyone who's ever had someone yawn at them before. We've all had someone yawn at us before, especially when we're having a conversation. And if someone yawns at you when you're having a conversation, one time is forgivable. Multiple times throughout is very frustrating and annoying and disrespectful. And again, David did apologize for that. Uh, so did his PR manager. I want to make this very clear that they did apologize. And this is not a video to sit here and, and just dunk on them. Um, as I said before, I, I went back and forth on what to do with this show. Um, there's two reasons that I'm putting out this show. One is that I've made a mistake on my own part. For some reason, I skipped numbers. So I put out episode 249 and didn't do 248 for some reason. I don't know. I'm a Muppet. <laughs> so I needed a show. 
And I could have just waited to do the next one, but I figured, well, I have a show here. Why not use this content? But, of course, I need to edit out all of the bad stuff. So that's going to be some work I'm going to do later on when I put this all together. Um, but, I, again, I will say this. There's a lot in this show that I'm I'm happy with. I'm particularly proud of our conversation about HR. I was really looking forward to that, and David did deliver on that front. Uh, some of the other topics we just didn't get as much out of. That's just how podcasting is sometimes. But that particular conversation, I felt, was worthy of being put out there and demonstrates the good side of David. I mean, I, you know, and I, I gave him advice at the end. I said, like, hey, if you do podcasts again, just keep this stuff in mind. It, it's not a great look. It doesn't make you look good. It doesn't make anyone that you're doing a show with look good, you know? Um, and there's been plenty of mistakes I made in this. Originally, I put the whole show out on Patreon, unedited. Um, I don't know what I was thinking. I guess I was, I was just annoyed, to be honest. I was frustrated. And I was like, oh, you know, and, and people I've spoken to about this have said like, well, it's your content and, you know, it's, it's not, it's not your responsibility how your guests act and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But like, I feel like anyone listen, listening to my show who listens to my show regularly might feel a bit robbed by the fact that they didn't get a full show. Um, and that's also why I'm doing this extra stuff where I reflect on, on the show uh, something different. I don't normally reflect on shows. Maybe it's something I'll do again in the future. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but I, I, I knew I had to include this. I knew I had to speak about it. And also, I think it's better that I'm doing this now rather than, you know, when I initially did it. Because I was really annoyed, you know, and quite rightly. And people around me told me that I had every right to be annoyed. You know, my time was wasted. It was unprofessional, blah, 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 blah. But Look, at the end of the day, I am in control of my own actions and I don't think it's a good look if I just put something out there, you know, where where it makes someone else look bad. F for what? what? What am I trying to achieve there? You know, you could be like, oh, look at this. This is funny. But then that's never really been what my show is about. My show isn't about laughing at people's mistakes. It's about life stories and inspiring motivating stories and content and stuff and if I were to put out content like that it's kind of a mockery of all that it's kind of a, just shooting yourself in the foot you know that like, what, what, what are we trying to say there it's the same reason that like I don't give like trolls a hard time on the internet anymore I used to I used to think like oh well if they're going to attack me I'm going to attack them back and you know what that's just stupid you know, often with trolls, you know, that they're, they're in an angry, unhappy place. And I think it's better to match that with kindness and love and try to try to win them over rather than, than just throw hate back their way. You know, what's, what's that going to achieve? And the same is true of here. Um, <laughs> David act on, acted unprofessionally and that's on him. And he knows that. And he, again, he was apologetic and, and you move on and, here I have content sitting here that can be used and I wasn't really sure what to do with it and now I know what to do with it and I'm putting it out there and look, I'm proud of it. I think it's it's a good conversation. It's worth 
putting out there but just know that I had to put a lot of effort into the editing process with this to edit out the yawns and to edit out the distractions and everything else um, I think David learned his lesson so I will say this uh, if you're coming if you're listening to the show please don't send hate his way I'm, I'm sure nobody will but I will just say it now please don't we all make mistakes in life Lord knows I have um, it's fine you know I wanted to put this show out because I don't want to waste content I think it's perfectly good content and I think it's a learning curve you know it's a learning curve for us both because you know he made his mistakes and I think I made mistakes by putting it out initially and, and not editing it and, and just kind of showcasing that and it's like yeah he might have made those mistake mistakes but it's on me sort of showcasing that and being like oh look at this look at this this happened and you know I could have done that but I don't know I didn't feel it was quite it was quite right um so yeah I don't know Th those are my thoughts on that um I'm sure people will disagree with me but you know ultimately it's my show <laughs> so I could I could do what I want with it um and for David, if, if you might be listening to this, again, um, water under the bridge, of course. Um, I'm sure you learned your lessons from it. And um, I hope that you understand my decision to put it out. I, I'm quite happy with the conversation that we had about HR and, and everything else. You know, I was excited for the show beforehand. And ultimately, that's why I was disappointed when, when we got together and it, and it sort of played out the way that it did. Um, but I'm still proud of this. Um, I tend to look at these shows kind of from like a journalistic perspective. And on that basis, I'm proud of it and I want to put it out there. And I think it's worthwhile. So there you go. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for watching or listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. And uh, as always, please, you know, if you're on YouTube, like, share and subscribe. Leave us a review on Podchaser. Leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to the show. Please leave us reviews, ratings, share it, all that jazz. It really, really helps the show. And who knows, maybe we will become a top 10 podcast as a result. <laughs> who knows? Thank you so much. Uh, once again, Happy New Year, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to the show and supporting it. Oh, and uh, make sure to subscribe to Patreon as well to get yourself bonus podcast content, bonus content in general, and help support me make the show. Okay, enough plugging, Christian. Thank you so much for listening and watching, and I'll see you in the next one.